when uncomfortable conversations happen, it's because expectations weren't aligned from the beginning. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about the critical role coaching plays in the success of sales organizations and why so many organizations struggle to support and enable frontline managers to coach to win. We push them a lot to focus on coaching, but we don't see it enough. We don't enable it enough. And it is a critical component for the success of these organizations. To help us, we have with us Pat Rogers, co-founder from Loop, a company that is is growing quickly, uh, coming out of an awesome accelerator with another company that we had talked to, Casted. And so, Pat, I want to thank you so much for taking time and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chad. Really excited to uh, talk about coaching and, and be with you today. Excellent. So before we jump in, we'd like to start with just a random question to give our audience a little bit more insight into you as an individual. So how about a book, movie, or a theatrical event that you found impactful and, and why? Ah, yeah. Uh, one that, that always sticks out is uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Bobbin. It's uh, about the U.S. Navy SEALs, how they lead to win. And I think the, the big takeaway for anybody that is in the, uh, the ever-changing world of sales is that you know, owning, your, owning your patch and, and owning your work is something that as long as we stick to that, we'll all be successful. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So how about a little context for our customers on Loop and your role there? Yeah, absolutely. So I am the uh, co-founder of Loop and Loop is focused on how do we actually enable frontline managers to be more successful and more productive. All the things that we've done over the last decade have been focused on making reps better and better. And so we're, we're really down to the last lever left being making managers more productive. And that's what we're focused on doing at Loop. Excellent. And so why, why did this become, why coaching? Why was this the, the central focus for you guys as you, as you started to build the company out? What challenges are, are you really hoping and, and looking to solve with the solution? Yeah, absolutely. So I spent the last, uh, five years in the sales enabling productivity space and working with a, a number of clients of all sizes, trying to figure out how we can help their reps get better. And as we did that, we just kept running into this hurdle of manager accountability. They don't have enough time. They aren't able to move the needle. We've got this initiative that we can't get done. So they're just always bouncing around. There's always some reason that the manager was the barrier. And as we kind of narrowed in on that, it's either an excuse or a truth. And either way, we can fix it. And so that was one of the big reasons that if we can make managers better, that should absolutely be a multiplier effect down to the rep level and and see a, a big return for companies across the board. Well, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, most of the times the organizations that I, that I work with, the coaches, or excuse me, the, the managers are literally a barrier, attempt to be nothing more than a barrier of the ins, you know corporate insanity that happens, the speed at which they move, yeah. try and give reps enough room to breathe and do the job, which... Yeah. You know, for a while it was great, but it isn't helping move the needle per se. It's really enforcing status quo. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. It's a big challenge across the board. And if we, uh, if we can focus on helping them figure out how to do it better, then, then we'll all be able to be a little bit better in the sales world. And so, so let's talk about how, how you're going to, how you're going to enable the frontline managers. What is it, you know, or organizations, some will admit they have problems, <laughs> some won't. Yeah. Uh, right. And so how, you know, in order to, to do anything effective, you've got to get the frontline managers to buy in. And obviously you got to sell it. We, we get all that, but the managers themselves have to step into it. And so how do you, how do you suggest organizations enable that as kind of the starting point? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the first piece is that in a lot of cases, managers don't know what they don't know. So we've, we've promoted managers from great reps and in some cases that translates and a lot of cases it doesn't. And <laughs> as we make that leap, we aren't giving them the tools to help them adjust and say, Oh, all of these other people around me are not just like me. And once we get through that hurdle of helping them understand that each of these sellers is a bit different than they are and help them identify what are the individual gaps that they can actually coach to work on. And in a lot of cases really just fill in for that rep, then the manager themselves can actually step back and say, oh, I don't have to be on every single call. I have to be on these calls for Susie and these calls for Timmy and and have a much better understanding if they can really realize and have access to the information that pinpoints the specific weaknesses of each rep so that they can fill in at the right times rather than all the time, which is why we just have constant fire drills. Right. They're going after the, the largest fire as fast as possible. Now this <laughs> concept of, you know, uh, coaching to the individual. Have you heard or seen pushback or concern from frontline managers that depending on the size, the way the org is structured and the size of the team, that they're afraid they may not be able to truly identify the differences between the individuals on their teams? Like I know managers that have, you know, something ridiculous, like 20, 25, direct reports. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's a lot of people to really understand and know in a way that's going to allow you to tweak your style of coaching. How do you suggest managers approach that? Or how are you, how are you helping them deal with that? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a big challenge, especially when you have that you know number. I mean, I think the lowest we've seen, we ran a recent survey, the lowest we saw was six reps. And so even six reps, depending on the size of the deal, is quite a bit of information that they're dealing with on a regular basis. And so I think the first thing is for managers to be able to pull some thread on each individual. And if they're able to find that one commonality, that one thread that seems to be replicating itself in every one of their deals and in all actions, then that's a, a place to start. And I think for anyone out there, if you find one thread that we can consistently hold a rep accountable to improving and actually you know, come back to that consistency over and over again, that in and of itself will make that person better. And so just finding one place to start and sticking with it is, is a huge step forward. Our goal is to actually give them that information so that they don't have to find that thread. We'll find that thread for them by taking the mountains of data that they have coming in from their reps connecting that and building out these proactive actions and alerts that allow them to identify that sooner. If you're not able to have that level of detail, then it's really sitting down trying to find one thing and being consistent with it to help that rep get better. 
And when you, when you see those threads, are those, are those threads? Um, I mean, it's different per individual, but are you seeing patterns? Like, have you seen patterns in those? Like, you know, there's a group of reps over here that don't, um, aren't able to get access to power or over here. They, you know, they constantly are discounting too much because they don't know how to handle procurement or are there groupings like that of things that you've seen? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, there's patterns for sure across the board. And, and as you think about, you know, clients and industries, you're going to continue to see those patterns, whether it be that this is a, a new rep that's ramping and, and learning the industry and kind of correlating those pieces of here is, you know, where they are in their evolution as a seller. And you're going to start to see patterns across teams, across companies, across industries. And, and the beautiful thing about that is that also helps us to to be much more prescriptive in how we can deliver, hey, this might be an area to look at. I think where things get really, really interesting is when you start to look at how certain threads overlap on top of each other. And I think that's where you see differences in reps because it's one of those where even when we focus on one weakness and if we're able to improve that weakness, now what's the next thing? Because there should always be a next thing in coaching if we're going to make these companies better. And so those threads can start to help us guide managers towards the next step and what's going to have the highest impact. What are, what, you know, how many deals are all being impacted by this one weakness and that's where we should focus our time. So it's going to be for us being able to drive more of that prioritization for the manager to help them have the biggest impact. So we're, I mean, it sounds to me, it sounds very similar to what I would call a, a coaching GPS. Like here's, here's how, yeah. right. I mean, and here's the traffic, <laughs> Here's where the accident yep, yep. Here's the traffic. Right. Now let's reroute. Now, so that, that helps them identify. But what do you say to managers who struggle with, you know, you mentioned the ones that don't know what they don't know because they came up and they, they got this promotion and now they're, you know, they're freaking out a little bit, whether they'll admit it or not. I know the first time I became a manager, I was like, what in the hell am I doing? <laughs> uh, yep. but, but there's also a skill set required. So if we go with that GPS analogy, right? So I, I still need to have skills to drive the car. So what, what is the difference in your mind, say, of managing versus coaching and how, what kind of skill sets do you think optimal frontline managers slash coaches should have? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think the, the simplest uh, delineation between managing and coaching is coaching should always have a, a multiplying effect, whereas managing attacks kind of a singular outcome. So if a rep is walking away with, with a task that is only specific to one deal to do one thing, that's managing. If it is, hey, if we're able to have these types of conversations and do that across these four different deals and see what the outcome is, that's a multiplying effect. And so when we think about that difference, it's how do we find the things that are going to make you better overall that's going to have impact across the board rather than giving a directive that only does one thing and the rep walks away with no understanding of why. So I think the why is another big piece there. And as it relates to kind of the who should be managers and who shouldn't, empathy and being a, a bit of a Swiss army knife are kind of the two things that I always look for, because I think there's a, a common idea that being a player coach is a bad thing. And I, and I, I've always gone against that mentality because I think being a player coach is a good thing. If you are the utility player on that team, rather than being the one that steps in to hit the home run or, or make the winning shot, it's about being able to step into the gaps of each individual rep. And so being a little bit more of a utility player where 
you may not be the you know excellent negotiator you may not be the ultimate closer or whatever the case is but you are the one that whatever gap needs to be filled whatever role needs to be played you can go in and play that that's the best kind of frontline manager because then you can fill in the gaps for your team and help them identify those as well as then having that empathy to understand that there is a uh, two-way street here where the rep is you know going out and doing this job you need to be able to kind of sit back and help them do that and understand that you are there to mentor coach and make them better while giving them enough runway to go out and do it on their own and let them have that freedom and let them have that autonomy to go do that because that's what's actually going to give you more time back and also allow them to be more successful. So it's a combination of those things that make what I find the best managers. And so there's an element in there that I, and I'll just use myself. I struggled when I was coming up and, and as I moved through the ranks and started running larger and larger teams. And I've seen managers that have reported to me struggle with, and that's the concept that f- you shouldn't be afraid of failure. Like that failure is going to mm-hmm. happen, right? It, it, it's going to happen. So nobody likes to fail. I mean, <laughs> I haven't met anybody right. <laughs> fail, but it, getting comfortable with failure as an ability, as an element for a coachable moment, which is kind of kind of cliche, but you know where I'm going with it. How do you help them yeah. get comfortable with that concept and maybe mitigate the impact of those failures? Cause it's a, it's a lot different if somebody's chasing a, you know, one of the largest deal in the company's history and they fail on that versus little failures along the way that are easier to address or don't have create as many ripples in the organization. How do you work with people or suggest that they approach that and get a little bit more comfortable with that element of, of being a manager and a coach? Yeah, no, actually, I think there, it's a good point you brought up of, you know, the largest deal versus, you know, some, a smaller deal. Cause I think that that's a great area that if, you look at, you know, across the board, all the deals that rep has, especially as they're ramping, because that's, that's really the, the riskiest time for a manager in terms of giving them the rope to go out and do what they do on their own and, and probably fail. I always uh, have this with any new rep, they'll have one or two deals that I'll tell them day one, I don't think this is a good fit, but I'm, I'm comfortable with you continue to do that. And they're you know, <laughs> happy years. You know what it is. You, you know the story. They're super excited. This is my little puppy and, and I'm going to definitely bring this one in. And you always watch it happen, right? And you're like, all right, I'm going to mark it down today that this is the deal that when you come back, I'm going to tell you exactly why we didn't close this deal. And what you're really losing is time, right? Like that's all you're really losing. And, and you put that in perspective because you know, going out that this is not going to be a deal that's going to be one. Let them have a couple of those early on. Cause if we're just losing time and we're not really losing at bats that we were going to, you know, get over the, the finish line, then at the end of the day, it, it's fine that they go out and do that. And, and the more of those that happen on a smaller basis, the small ones that we're not really that worried about, then by the time they start to get some of those bigger deals, and you, you can be the gate to that if you want to be in terms of what leads they're given and, and where you point them as they first join your team, let them have those, those little losses that help them get an understanding because until they feel it, until it hurts when you lose something, um, it really doesn't, you know, have the same you know, effect on you as a seller. And so I think you have to give them those. And as long as you mitigate what that looks like, then it's the same as looking at it from your forecast strategy, where the best case is still always the best case. It's not, you know, our committed number. And so as long as you look at it that way and play the, the, the game VODs there, let them take the, the small ones, what it, it's going to help you significantly in the long run. 
Yeah. Excellent. Excellent advice. I've not systematically approached that as probably as much as I should have, but that, that concept of getting comfortable and, and kind of mitigating the impact, right? The time aspect of it is critical. And especially on a ramp, if they can, if you give them the time to do that and they can do it fast, like they come out of the gate, they find something quick that you know is not coming across the line. Um, mm-hmm. if they get to sink their teeth into it. It helps them practice the the methodology or whatever approach the the organization is using and helps i think the manager if they're paying attention have insight into what might that single thread be for that individual you know kind of a hint of all right this is what i'm seeing here now one data point does not a trend make but it's something i want to keep Mm -hmm. as we move forward i think that's unbelievably valuable insight and a skill that many managers i see struggle with it's just the fear of failure yeah, and, and I think it also, you know, we, we have to keep in mind that it needs to also come down from our managers' managers. So when we start to move up in the organization, if there's a mentality that you know, this number is coming in and, and we only do activities that impact this number and, and there's no freedom to make those decisions, that's where you start to see managers really, you know, grip even tighter and tighter. And, and that's where the freedom is lost. And so it has to be something that starts to trickle up in the organization where, there's an acceptable margin of error and time for reps to get comfortable selling. And if that's not understood and if that's not quantified and measured, one, you're never going to really be able to capacity plan with ramp. And two, your, your reps are never really going to be comfortable in their own skin to go out and sell. Right. Right. Well, and that's, I mean, I think the culture of the organization impacts the overall effectiveness of, of how coaching versus managing can be implemented and or leveraged, right? If, if, if yep. it's gotta be a coaching culture or mm-hmm. at least have an element of it. Have you, you know, how do you work with organizations or suggest organizations assess themselves to understand is the culture I have right now enabling coaching or restricting it? Are there things that people could look for or organizations could look for or leaders could look for? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, it, it's a tough one because like we can, we can immediately default and say, well, let's do a survey. And every survey we've seen, you know, is like, Oh, you know, reps don't feel like they're getting coached and managers feel like they're coaching. I think the the biggest thing is, is kind of coming back to one of the topics that we talked about earlier, the difference between managing and coaching and managers, if they're taught from inside the organization that that is coaching, is going to, are going to have a different perspective than the rep. And so I think it's starting with what is the definition and how do we split up managing or process administration versus real coaching. And so I think taking that is, is the first and foremost. I think the other thing is taking a, a step to zoom out and look at across the board when we group our teams and say, okay, this team overall hit quota. Well, within that, was it one rep that really drove success for that team? And there were another, you know, five that were at, you know, somewhere between 50 and 60% of quota. That doesn't tell me that we're really coaching that team. That tells me that we found one awesome rep and really rode them to, to hit our quota, right? Which is what usually happens. I mean, there was a stat that we saw recently that 75% of managers get less than half their team to quota. When we start to look at that and break down where does the number come from, instead of looking at this team did well, let's look at how well that manager did to get their entire team there. And I think that's the biggest gap that the companies are overlooking today or that just gets lost. The larger the organization, numbers just keep rolling up. They keep being aggregations rather than 
individual productivity. And I think that's, that's the first place to look to really separate are we coaching or are we just managing and hoping we get there? Yeah, that's a, that's a really important point I want to highlight, right? So you, people's individual performance can get lost in the aggregation. And if, if you ideally, I, I always used to look at the team and go, I don't want to spike. Like I don't want that one rock star. Yeah. I mean, I'd love all of them to be rock stars, but let's, <laughs> right. that's lies sales managers tell ourselves. Yeah. We want them to be consistent. Hey, are you familiar with, um, gong.io? Yes. Yes, yes, I am. Chris Orlob over there, they did that uh, analysis against their database and found that the consistency was the number one and only factor that separated teams that were successful. And that's consistency of sales motion. And that consistency of sales mm-hmm. motion requires consistency of coaching and it requires something to coach too. So it's, it's interesting that we don't want to see a spike. I mean, everyone hit the number. That's great, but we don't want one person swaying the total for the entire team. Man, that to me is a flag for, for managers. So VPs, leaders, CROs, whoever's listening, if you have a manager and they got spikes, then we need to work with them. We need to work with them to make sure you're helping them coach consistency across the team. Is that a fair kind of view? Absolutely. And, and I think that the, it's a great report from Gong because I think it, it speaks to the idea that there's no way to really pinpoint any differences amongst folks if we don't have a formal process that they're following. So if we're not holding reps accountable to some kind of process, we can't then in turn identify where they're strong or where they're weak because if it's all over the place and everybody's doing something different, there's no way to pinpoint how to make you better because I can't stop and rewind the tape. And in that sense, if we're able to stop and do that because we do have a process, if we, if we have that in place, that's exactly where we should be looking to make sure that coaching is happening. If we don't have an adherence to a process, it's going to be very difficult to do that in the first place. Absolutely. And so let's talk accountability for a second. Frontline managers often have challenges having the difficult conversations or the accountability conversations. How do you suggest they, they address that? How, they, how do you suggest they get comfortable and so the accountability is clear without being uh, overwhelming? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it, it starts from day one with that sales representative setting the right uh, benchmarks, KPIs, and expectations. When uncomfortable conversations happen, it's because expectations weren't aligned from the beginning. Ooh, and that's gonna so be, if we're yeah, able that's gonna to... Be your quote. That's going to be your quote. Just see. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and so with that kind of idea of setting those expectations, then... As long as you have the proof, you have the why of we're talking about this because this is what I've seen time and time again, it shouldn't be an uncomfortable conversation. It, it, it'll feel that way, but you can always relate back. Hey, you're kind of the, it's not me. It's, it's you know, one of those like breaking up with your girlfriend, but here's the data that's showing you exactly why I'm telling you this. It's, it's not, you know, it's not me. It's the data. And so as long as you have that, and I think, that is one of the, the challenges that, that we're focused on solving at Loop is that we don't believe the individualized data set is getting down to the frontline manager in a way that's usable. And so I think that is one of the challenges the manager's face is finding that why, finding that proof to make sure that the conversation is kind of the emotional piece of it is removed. And it's more about let's, let's talk about this to get better. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So what, what three things, like if you could, if you could collect all the frontline managers 
and you could give them just two, three things that they should walk away with and, and think about uh, in order to make themselves better coaches, what would those be? Yeah, I think, you know, number one is every single rep is different. And that is from how they receive coaching, which I know is a really challenging part for managers to understand and, and figure out. But just ask, you know, reps will tell you. I, I start every every person I interview even, how do you like to be coached? What's the best way to give you feedback? Because if you don't do it in that way, it's going to fall on deaf ears and your whatever effort you put in, even if you're a great coach, is going to be for naught. So I think that's the first thing is making sure you always keep that in mind. And that goes down to the the individual strengths and weaknesses of the rep themselves. We can't, you know, if, if we were to say, you know, every, let's reduce sales cycle time and, you know, my longest time is in stage one and, and Chad's is in stage two. If we just focus on stage one, only pack gets better. Chad doesn't get better. So you got to always focus on what is that individual rep's needs. I think the, the second is that it has to be followed through. Nothing is worse for a rep than we talk about it this week and we never talk about it again. It, it tells me one that I'm not important because we haven't followed through or that that coaching or that recommendation wasn't important. Either one of those is bad. So we always have to follow through. And then I think the last one is, is what we just spoke to is, is giving the why, giving the context so that I know what the impact of that change for me is going to be. If I don't, if I can't quantify that or see how it's going to make me better, other things are going to take priority. And so always giving that why so that you can take the emotion out of it and, and help them get better. Those are going to be the the three most important things that any manager can do, and they can start that today. Perfect. And so now let's talk about organizations where where coaching isn't part of the culture, or the frontline managers aren't getting the assistance that they need, and reps. Because I've run into some of these reps, they want to be coached, but they're not 100 mm-hmm. percent sure how to enable that in a in a non-frictionful way inside of the organization. So how do you recommend if a rep really wants to be coached or they want to consistently get better and they're not getting it from their manager, is there a way they should approach that conversation or should they go out on their own and get coached, find a coach that may be outside the organization? I think there's, there's probably a little bit of both. And, and I would, I would start inside and hope that it's just an oversight and then move outside. And, and by starting inside, I think it's, you come to the table with information, come to the table with where you want to improve upon. If you're not getting that, identify it for yourself. Where do you feel? And and I think that's the hardest part for reps is you got to take a step back and look at yourself and say, where do I need help? We're not, we're not all perfect. We're, we're never going to be perfect. And so finding a couple themes or threads as we talked about and saying, Hey, this is what I need you to help me coach on. And if, if that still falls on deaf ears, if you do have an enablement or training group inside the organization, give that a, a second shot. And then the other option inside your organization is there are always a couple folks on every sales team that are going to be the good managers. They may not be at the top of their, you know, leaderboard in terms of revenue, but they're the ones that will jump in and help you build a presentation. They're the ones that are giving advice in meetings and giving actual examples and being open. Go to them and, 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 and work with each other. So I think those are, those are your avenues inside. And then outside, podcasts like this, books and mentors of folks that you admire, that you know in sales, go find them. And then there's always actual sales coaches out there. I know a lot of especially in the enterprise is, is usually where this is taken advantage of because 
you know, they're big dollars, but people have individual coaches outside the organization. There's schools. There's one in Chicago called Victory Lap that the reps can go to and, and get that coaching. And so I think there's always avenues outside of the organization, but try and start within. And, and the hard thing is if it, if it doesn't resonate, it might not be the right place for you. Excellent. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply as a co-founder, as an executive, that makes you a prospect for some people. And Mm -hmm. so I'm always curious when somebody doesn't have a referral in, there's no relationship, there's no connection for you. What do you find most important for someone to build the credibility and earn the right to 15 to 30 minutes on your calendar for that initial? conversation? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of noise. And so I think the, the most important piece is to do your research. You know, um, some of the best ones that I've ever received are ones where they listened to a, a podcast like this and shot me a quote and said, Hey, I, I think this relates to what I'm doing in these you know key ways. And it was actually on point. They actually were able to relate uh, either a challenge or a, something that I'm proud of, something that's important to me to what they think that they can add value. And I think that is the most important thing is, is finding something tangible. It is tougher and tougher to do, but there is more and more information out there. I mean, my LinkedIn's pretty built out. I'm on podcasts and blogs. It's, it's something where if you can find that one thing, that's going to resonate with me. If I, if I get the generic, you know, if you didn't do any research or you found my title and said, okay, that's a title that fits and my industry is not even in line. You're, <laughs> That's, that's where you're like, ah, yeah, this company, and I, I'll, I'll even respond to those and say, try harder. You know, like there, there's, there's certain things that just put the effort in. It doesn't have to take three hours. It can take, you know, 10 minutes, but if, if you want my time, you got to put the time in as well. Perfect. All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insight. There's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, professional services, people, one piece of advice that you would give them that you believe would help them hit their targets or crush their quotas, what would it be and why? I think the the one thing that is most important is business acumen around your buyer. So what does your buyer, how do they make money? How, how does their business make money? How does it work? What are the challenges that that industry is facing? And the more and more research you do, the better off you're going to be in any conversation. So whether that be pivoting because a new challenge came up or understanding, you know, when, when you get pushed off in a meeting, why that might be happening, understanding how they make money, the business acumen piece will serve you far more than, you know, kind of really diving deep into your own product even, because you're going to have a a much more in-depth conversation. You're going to understand your buyer personas at an individual level, how that rolls up to the organization, how they're measured. All of that really is, is how you're going to have a much greater impact on both bringing folks in from the marketing side, because you can be more aligned to those buyer personas in terms of what really clicks for them. And then as a seller, being able to truly understand the moving parts within an organization that you're not a part of, you're going to have a much better uh, motion of, of maneuvering throughout that organization and helping them buy something, which is the, the greatest challenge sales faces today. Perfect. All right. If a listener wants to talk more about these topics or learn more about Loop, where do you want us to send them? What's the easiest way for you, for them to get to you? Easiest way is pat at loop.co or LinkedIn. LinkedIn is always, always a great channel as well. Excellent. Pat, I can't thank you enough for taking time to be on the show. This has been a great conversation. 
Awesome. I really appreciate it, Chad. It was great chatting with you as well. All right, everybody. That does it for this episode. B2BRevExec.com. You know the drill. Share it with friends, family, coworkers. Drop us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we at Value Song Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.